Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great. Thanks, uh, Tony, very much. There are some slides, um, please. Wow. Here we go again. TED Talk Sunday. How exciting. One of the things you've heard me say um, a number of times about uh, cracking communication is that we have discovered that it, it doesn't really matter what bit of communication we're trying to learn when we open our mouths and speak about something that God has placed in our hearts, something amazing happens. Uh, And that's been our routine experience. And that led to these kind of moments. We can't just keep that in uh, locked away uh, early on a Sunday morning in cracking communication. But we wanted to create as much opportunity as possible, not only for people to develop their skills, but much more significantly to help us together build confidence in speaking out the things that God has placed in our hearts. And you you may recall in the scriptures that uh, moment when Jesus came alongside the people walking to Emmaus. And when they reflected back on their experience, they said something like this, didn't our hearts burn within us? There's something about when we share the truth that God's placed in us, that that truth comes alive in the experience of those uh, who listen. So this morning, uh, Poppy and Jacob and Alice. Are going to come and share with us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your word is alive and active. We thank you that when we share truth with one another, something amazing takes place. Build all our confidence, we pray, to speak out the truth that you've placed within us, that others around may hear and know and be transformed. And now we ask for this moment. Would you give uh, Poppy and Jacob and Alice uh, that sense of of knowing your presence, that sense of, of steadying them for this moment? But more, would you help each one of us? Would you help each one of us to lean forward, to lean in, to listen carefully to the word that's alive for each one of us today? For we believe that you speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. Would you welcome Poppy, everybody. Good morning. I wouldn't have predicted being up here so soon after my baptism. Forty days Jesus had between his baptism and ministry. I've counted 21 since mine. Anyway, no time to waste in God's kingdom. Let's get to it. So the part of our passage that I felt God wanted me to draw near to this morning 
is verse 15. Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is our invitation into the kingdom of God. But what does this mean today for me in my life and for you in yours? Let's take the first sentence. Jesus says, the time has come. The Greek word for time in this context is kairos. This word doesn't mean time as in a few minutes or a few hours. It's more like time standing still, a grabbing of attention. We have encounters with God in the everyday. These are called kairos moments. Moments when God grabs our attention, sometimes in a tangible time-standing moment. These are invitations to draw near to God, just as Jesus invites us to here in Mark's Gospel. From these moments, these invitations, we have a choice. Either we ignore the encounter, or we notice it, and we follow through his command to repent and believe. This is key to discipleship. So I'm going to share with you one of my own Kairos moments and what it's meant for me to move from repentance to belief in one particular area. But before I do this, let's unpack a little about what repentance and belief actually means. Repentance is about thinking. It means to turn our thinking towards God. In order to do this, we need to observe how God is trying to get our attention. This may be through noticing our Kairos moments then we reflect on what God is telling us. We consider it in our minds, we pray about it, we seek information and meaning from the Bible. In doing this, our minds are turned towards God. We're changing our thinking. This is repentance. So then what does it mean to believe? Belief is not a thought, but an action. Belief means stepping into action. It's putting what God says into practice and doing something about what he's saying. So when Jesus says, repent and believe the good news, he's drawing us to him. He's calling us to change our thinking, to repent, and do something about it, to believe. This is all about the kingdom of God coming near and living out that truth in our lives. So now I'm going to share one of the Kairos moments that I've had and how it looked for me to move into repentance and belief, so that the kingdom of God might come more and more in my life. So I was on my way home to London this summer, and I was dealing with quite a lot of ambivalence about my living situation, which is divided between Ipswich and London, where my family live. I'd recently confirmed that I'd be doing form, and I was really worrying and questioning about whether I could endure living there another 12 months. I'd arrived at the train station and I had a while to wait for my train and I just felt God nudging me to spend some time with him. I gave God what was on my heart, my feelings of being unsettled, my striving to be in control and plan for the next year, my impatience, my frustration. And then I asked God what he wanted to give me As I opened my eyes, I noticed power circuits all around the train station. I noticed a way out sign, and people were going in and out, and there was a clear red stop signal on the track. 
This, in hindsight, was my Kairos moment. I had a momentary slowing of time as God was grabbing my attention. What did it mean? I asked God. Looking at the power cables running through the tracks, I felt a sense of God saying, there is a source of power here which can be released. There's power in you, in Ipswich, where you're staying. It's God's power. I am with you. Looking at the coming and going of people from the platform, with their movements exaggerated, but my stationary, I felt perhaps God meant to encourage me. Stop comparing yourself with the journeys of these other travellers, where they're going, where they're able to go, what places they're in, where you are is right, right now. When I looked at the red stoplight on the track, I felt God saying, stay where you are. I will make it clear when it's time to go. You belong where you are currently. When I asked God what my Kairos moment meant, I felt this message fitted with what I know to be true of God in my life and in the Bible. For instance, in Isaiah 41, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. In Proverbs 16:9, it says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God was saying to me, I am in control of all things. I am giving you clear direction. I know what's on your heart. I care what's on your heart. And I have plans for you. Keep looking to me and trust me, and I will tell you when and where you need to go. This was my thinking turning toward my repentance. And what does it mean for me to believe in this instance? Well, I stopped wasting my energy planning my exit route from Ipswich. As you can see, so far I've managed to stand firm in this. And I reaffirmed my promise to God. I trust you. I trust that you will tell me when it's right to go. I trust that you know the plans that you have for me. And Father, I trust that if I stop trying to find the answer myself, and I accept that this is where you want me to be right now, I can live the good news of the gospel in my current situation. In my situation, God wasn't changing my circumstances, as my unsettled feelings seemed to demand but he was changing my perspective. So for me, to believe was and is to willingly surrender control over my living situation and willingly accept this change of perspective. So I want to encourage you to keep your eyes out for your Kairos moments, to notice them and to respond to them, to repent and believe. Maybe, as in my case, God might not be changing your circumstances just yet, but he is able to change your perspective. Father God is in control. He's active today in our lives, and when we seek him, we find him. So we can live as the kingdom of God is not just near, but here. And this is the good news of the gospel. 
Believe the good news. Trust the good news. The good news is that God meets us where we are. He calls us to repent, to turn our thinking back to him. And he calls us to believe, to change how we are living, to bring us nearer to the kingdom of God. Because the time, Kairos, has come. Great job, Poppy. Thank you very much. Let's just pause for just a second to, so what? What a... What is, what's the bridge from what Poppy has said, from what's true in God's word, to what her experience has been? What's Great. Ladies and gentlemen. Good morning, everyone. My name's Jacob. I'm 18 years old. I'm an intern here at Burlington, and I also help out as a young leader with the youth. Um... So let's dive straight into the passage with verses 17 and 18. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Each time I read this passage, these two words, at once, really jump off the page and stay with me. And this is where I want to focus my talk today. As a child, certain TV theme tunes would have a similar effect on me as the words of Jesus had on Simon and Andrew in this story. The likes of Doctor Who and Top Gear, to name a couple, but the, ne- the main one for me was Match of the Day. My brother Alid and I would wake up at 7.30 on a Sunday to watch it. Can I just say, praise the Lord uh, for a 10.45 start at Burlington. <laughs> I can assure you I no longer wake up that early on a Sunday. Anyway, sometimes Alid, and- Alid would be up before me, and I would hear the theme tune playing as I came out of my bedroom. I would practically fall down the stairs with eagerness to get in front of the telly. For some of you, this may not relate. Um, apparently, some people don't like football. Um, so, so another example would be waking up to the smell of bacon in the morning. How quickly some of us would be downstairs to sink our teeth into a bacon butty. <laughs> Beyond that, if you don't like football and you don't, don't eat meat, I really can't help you. <laughs> but these are the, reac- the reactions... But these reactions are the ways in which I imagine Simon and Andrew reacting to the call of Jesus, to leave everything and follow him. They left at once. How amazing is this as an example of faith? But why did they do this? Why did they react at once? For me, I would react at once to watch Match of the Day or eat a bacon butty because I love watching football. It's something I'm really passionate about and not much beats the taste of a bacon sandwich in the morning. This leaves me asking the question, why did they have this same reaction? Maybe it's because they loved Jesus and wanted to follow him as soon as he called to them. Maybe it was more than that. Perhaps they already believed him to be the Messiah and therefore needed no hesitation to, to give their lives to follow him. I want to challenge you with a few questions today. So my first question is, if we believe Jesus to be the Messiah, why do we not react at once if he calls us into something? I love the way in which the message version translates verse 18. It says, they didn't ask questions. They dropped their nets and followed. How powerful is that? These men didn't need any more details from Jesus. All they needed was the calling. As many of us would have done in this situation, and as we do when we feel God is calling us into something that we are unsure of, 
we ask questions, and lots of them. Why me, God? How would this even happen? Where would I even start? These are all common questions that we find ourselves asking God. But why? Why do we feel the need to ask all these questions when this example of the disciples in Scripture gives us a model in which there are no questions asked? They simply trust him and follow him into the calling. Maybe we ask these questions in the hope of gaining more control over the situations that we feel God is calling us into. We want to check that we are capable of doing these things and that we are comfortable with them. But often we need to step out of that comfort zone to truly see God move. And he can do amazing things when you put that trust in him, giving him all the control and not taking that control ourselves. Alternatively, we sometimes simply ask these questions as an attempt to stall the proposition so that we can have more time to consider it. In the end, all we achieve from this is to build it up in our minds to be worse than it is, to be scarier and to be riskier than it is in reality. I'm sure this has stopped many people from, finding their, from ever finding their full potential in God's plans for them. So my second question is, are you still asking questions when it's time to get started? Some of us may argue this would have been much easier for the disciples as they had Jesus come to them and show himself to them. But they still had to make huge sacrifices to leave their nets and follow him. They left family and friends behind. James and John, in verse 20, left their father Zebedee in the boat. Their earthly father stood by and watched as they walked away to follow their heavenly father. This can't have been easy for them. And maybe God is calling you into something that doesn't look easy. At the start of the Daniel fast this year, I wasn't entirely sure what I was going to do for it, but I was very sure I wasn't going to do the whole thing. Joel suggested that I joined him in not listening to secular music for the three weeks and only listening to worship music. You see, music is a big thing for me, and I listen to, on average, two to three hours of music per day. Um, So when this was suggested, I was slightly reluctant, uh, as it was something I thought I would struggle with, especially as at that point I only had about 20 worship songs on my playlist. However, I managed to get through those three weeks and dug deeper into worship, finding more and more songs to keep myself entertained and began to appreciate this everyday rhythm of worship. I then took on the challenge again for Lent out of my own choice to try and strengthen this routine of day-to-day worship. I now have a worship playlist with almost 200 songs which is used by more than five other people and has helped me to encourage them in their faith as well as encourage me in my own. Are you dismissing what God is calling you into because it doesn't look easy? Not only did they leave people behind, but they also left behind the only trade they knew in being fishermen. This had been their whole lives up until this point, and they left it to become fishers of men. A proposal which may not have even made sense to the young men attending their nets that day. When I was asked to do this TED talk, the proposal didn't really make sense to me. Public speaking is very much out of my comfort zone, and I'd never expressed an interest in doing anything like this. However, I did want to challenge myself in this area, and I thought maybe God was calling me to do this talk for whatever reason. Maybe he wanted to give me a message that would speak to someone here today. Like the disciples, I didn't want to pass up this opportunity for God to work through me, although I can't say I had the same at-once faith of the disciples, but I did accept the idea. The disciples went on to catch thousands of men and women for the kingdom of God, despite not really knowing what they were getting into when Jesus first called them by the lake that day. So my final question is, are you dismissing what God is calling you into because it doesn't make sense to you? There are so many things in the Bible that God calls people into that only made sense later. 
In fact, in John 13, verse 7, Jesus said to the disciples, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. In the end, it's all a question of trust. Will you trust God when he calls you? Will you trust him when your questions are not answered? And will you trust him when you don't yet understand? Great. Thank you, Jacob. Quickly turn to the person next to you or around you and answer this question. What was the most memorable thing? What sticks in your mind right now? Great. Swap over. Make sure you both have a chance to speak. Great. Let's gather our thoughts, everybody, all the way from up the road. Alice Speedy is in the house, everybody. Let's uh, lean in, hear what God has to say, and then Claire will lead us at the end of Alice's uh, talk and uh, help us through our own response. Good morning. Well, like Jacob, God laid the same scripture on my heart. So we're going to focus on, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you become fishers of people. At once they left the nets and followed him. These verses challenged me to question my own walk of faith. What does it really mean for me to follow Jesus? Do I always follow his example in the way I live my life? What has he called me to do? Do I allow him to lead me? Do I say yes when he calls me? Do I respond at once or do I hesitate? Jesus was knocking on the door of my heart for several years before I gave my life to him at 15 and I chose to follow him. In the early years, I was very committed and led a very active church life. Sadly, my devotion waned after I moved to London when I was 20 and I felt isolated as a Christian and I wasn't part of a church family. Football soon became my focus at weekends. I wasn't spending time with Jesus or reading my Bible, let alone obeying his instructions. I was a Christian in name only. I'd lost my passion and I wasn't following him. But thankfully we have a a merciful father who welcomes us home with open arms and sets us back on the right path. Without question, God led me to this church just over 20 years ago and life hasn't been the same since. I've learned from experience that God will have his way in the end because he loves me too much to leave me to my own devices. I'm learning more and more to recognise when he's speaking to me and that it's best to do what he says when he says it. I know when the Holy Spirit is on my case as I have no peace until I surrender my will and do what I've been asked to do or asked not to do. So what can we learn from these verses this morning? Firstly, there's an invitation. When Jesus called the four fishermen to come, follow me, he was extending an invitation to them, a warm, welcoming, personal invitation. It wasn't a command, it wasn't a duty they had to perform, but a delight if they chose to say yes. Our Heavenly Father is a gentleman who gives us free will to make our own choices. He doesn't force us. Jesus was inviting the men to draw close to him, not merely to watch and listen from a distance. He wanted them to learn from him and to join him in his mission, to be vitally engaged in doing the work of the gospel. Jesus has extended that same invitation to us. 
He has chosen every one of us here today. In Isaiah 43, verse 1, we read, The Lord says, I have called you by name, you are mine. He looks on us through loving eyes and regards us as valuable and worth investing in. We are all invited, but have we accepted? The circumstances may be different for each of us, but the invitation and the desired response are the same. Yes, I will follow you, Jesus. We may respond to it once when we become Christians, but in fact, it's an invitation we need to respond to every day. Secondly, there's a promise. I will make you become fishers of people. Jesus promises to give the fishermen a new occupation. There's a new calling on their lives. Jesus is the one who will invest in them, lead by example, teach, encourage, and equip them with new skills to reach out and draw people into God's kingdom through faith in him. Likewise, when Jesus calls us to serve him in whatever way, we can be assured that he will be with us. He will nurture, mentor, and teach us. We've been given the promised helper, the Holy Spirit, who lives within us. Can you imagine a better life coach than God himself? Jesus will make us become the people we were created to be to fulfill his unique calling on our lives. God reminds us in Jeremiah chapter 11, I know the plans I have for you. His plan for me and for you has been uniquely choreographed. God has made each of us with different personalities, abilities, gifts and interests so we can reach those in our own particular mission fields. That might be within our family, in a workplace, where we socialise or at school or at college. I know I'm not the person that I used to be, and I'm grateful for that. Even in the past three years, I can see how God's been teaching me and stretching me, like becoming a trustee, being part of the prophecy team, and even standing up here today. I was a shy child who didn't like speaking out in class. I sense that I'm in a season of preparation. For what specifically, I don't know. And I'm trying to view the various challenges as opportunities to grow and to serve. Thirdly, in these verses, there is a response. We're told that the disciples left their nets at once. This seems a radical and even reckless response for them to leave everything for an uncertain future with a relative stranger. We learn from John's Gospel in chapter 1 that Andrew and Simon Peter already knew Jesus. They knew he was the Messiah, and they had spent time with him. But nonetheless, I think it's still remarkable that they should leave everything behind, their family, friends, homes, and livelihoods, to follow Jesus without knowing where they were going, how long for, or what they were letting themselves in for. I believe one key reason for the response is this. Jesus chose them. They were handpicked by the Messiah. Here they are, just ordinary men, and in humdrum of a normal day, Jesus comes along and invites them to be his disciples. How could they refuse such an honour? How can we? God has chosen each of us to be partners with him in changing the world. It's an incredible honour, privilege and opportunity. Maybe the more we grasp and understand what a privilege and honour it is to partner with him, then the more likely we are to respond at once. After all, God doesn't really need our help. He managed to create the universe. 
but he chooses to involve us with his plans because he wants to have a personal relationship with us. I think another key reason that they acted at once is that the disciples understood the importance and the urgency in Jesus' announcement. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Here the Greek word for time is kairos, which means the appointed time for the purpose of God. It wasn't simply a chronological event that they were responding to, but a call from God. And there's still an urgency today. We live in such a broken world that needs to know the love of a saviour. Will we allow Jesus to make us become fishers of people for his kingdom? Sometimes I think if I ignore the need, the nudge or instruction, then maybe God will get someone else to step in and let me off the hook. He never does because he's called me to the task. And it got me thinking, what blessings, miracles and promises might I have missed over the years because I hesitated or even refused to obey? And what blessings might others have missed out on as a result of my disobedience? Or what disappointments and heartache I might have been spared if only I'd heeded the warning? I believe there was something so compelling about Jesus that Andrew, Simon, Peter, James and John had no doubt in their minds about what their response should be to their personal invitation to follow Jesus. They were willing for Jesus to invest in them and transform their lives as he promised. And I wonder what might have happened if they'd said something like, I appreciate the invitation, Jesus, but now's not a good time. Maybe ask me again in a few years. What might have happened to the establishing of the church? Would we even know about Jesus today? The disciples acknowledged the importance of God's appointed time and they responded without hesitation. So what about us? Wow, one passage, three people listening to God and hearing what he had. And so the question for all of us is, what is God catching our attention about now? Let's just pause and think about what Alice has just shared. What's God saying before all of us to at once, at once, questions our worries and put our trust in God and we're going to sing together and as we do why don't we stand and just sing but also listen to God Uh, don't what am I going to do about it let's stand